Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. And I wanted to prove people wrong. Like I had this burning desire, um, you know, I mean, at one point I had written down all the ADs up on my mirror um, on a sheet of paper that, that either didn't return a phone call, um, wouldn't give me an in-person interview. Um, I flew around and met with most of the search firms too on my own dime. And, um, you know, a lot of them lack of respect um, lack of belief. And so I said, hey, let's go to LSU. We, we, we didn't buy a home there. We rented. Uh, we didn't bring one piece of furniture. Folks, when I finished my 100 miler, I was happy to be done, but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs, and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR Lotion, I now use their plant-based protein collagen peptides and recovery formula look if performing is important to you do yourself a favor go to livemomentous.com and for listening today you get the best part a discount enter code drb20 for 20 percent off your order that's drb and the number 20 livemomentous.com optimize perform, and recover. LiveMomentous.com So I'm so excited for our guest, 107th episode of Mental Toughness Podcast. I've followed this coach since early 2000s. We can call that back in the day now. But in the later 2000s, I started reading his blog, and there were thousands of entries. I mean, this coach has been at every level from the NBA assistant, two-time NBA head coach, G League head coach. He's been a national team head coach, assistant at the college level, and also head coach. He's been the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks since 2019, back-to-back Elite Eight appearances. Coach Eric Musselman. Muss, great to have you on, man. I appreciate you having me on, Rob. appreciate it. Coach, what was the workout today? <laughs> it was uh, 35 minutes on the elliptical, somewhere between level 12 and 14, and uh, 35 minutes on the treadmill, uh, either jogging at 6.0 or walking at 4.4. So that was the, uh, that was the cardiovascular. And then um, although my wife tells me it doesn't look like I lift weights at all, I did lift weights uh, for another hour as well. I love it, man. Now on the elliptical and the treadmill, like, are you, are you reading at that time? You absorbing podcasts? Like what's your routine? 
Yeah, so every day uh, I go an hour, actually an hour and 10 every day cardio. And before I leave the office, I print out uh, articles. I'll just, uh, you know, go to my search engine um, and just print like head coach feature article or um, if there's a big game coming up in any sport, I might just Google the head coach's name and, and print the article. So I, I walk out with probably a stack of anywhere from 30 to, to 60 pages of stuff. And, and then I highlight it, bring it in, share some of the stuff with the, you know, with the rest of the staff that I think are pertinent to either what we're doing or to, uh, you know, maybe coaching, uh, philosophical stuff that can that can help from a growth standpoint. All of us grow as coaches or leaders. Always oh, getting better, Coach. I love it, man. I mean, Coach, you know, Jim Rome talks about you being the deepest relationship. I mean, from thousands of his guests. I mean, I just still think that's quite remarkable how you guys connected so early on in your careers. Yeah, Jim is a is a you know just a lot of it's geographically meaning that. Jim was uh, doing radio in San Diego, and, and obviously I, I went to college at the University of San Diego. Um, but we have a, a deep relationship. He's actually, to, when I lift weights, I listen to his podcast. He has a couple different, one, a mental toughness podcast that he's just started. And then he also obviously has The Jungle, which is, you know, it started from the radio format. Um, but he had Dave Stewart on, the former Oakland A's pitcher. I heard that one. Just a fascinating perspective to hear uh dave stewart talk about some of the uh, coaching tips that he received was through sandy koufax and lifting his hat pulling the hat really down, really yeah. low so that he, it's unbelievable that the, the teaching stuff that that dave stewart talked about um you know the the belief in the and the and the, and the leadership that dusty baker told him about don't don't ever let, you know, don't take your own uniform off, make them take your uniform off. So right. um, I think that there's so many formats for all of us to, you know, to, to find a way to learn and to get better on a daily basis. Absolutely. I thought it was, it was fascinating too, about not giving up that edge in the all-star game. So not like making friends with the guys on the other team. I just thought that was fascinating as well. It really was to think that, you know, you make an all-star appearance and, uh, a former player tells you, Hey, don't, you know, I think it was Bob Gibson. Don't right. talk, don't talk to him. Don't, don't let any of your competitors ever know your mindset. Don't be friendly with them. Uh, really, really fascinating. A uh, few minutes with, with Rome and, and, uh, and Dave Stewart. Now, obviously he wants to try to be an owner of an M MLB team. And, and I'm sure that if he is able to get a team, he'll have great success just off hearing that podcast with Rome. Yeah, absolutely. Because I always listen to those. I mean, there's just so many ways to get it done. And if you just have to know like yourself, um, coach, you invest so much time meeting different coaches, you know, throughout the season. I mean, how else are you continually getting better? Yeah, so this year, uh, during the off season, you know, I, I had a goal that I wanted to try to meet as many Major League Baseball owners as possible. Um, I was able to do that. That it's not always easy, you know, because you got to either take family, you know, time away from your family, whether you're on a vacation, um, or I try to set things up uh, where I could, you know, try to do two things, you know, in one city. But um, it's been fascinating. I mean, Dusty Baker conversations um, were, were fascinating to me. Um, I've been around the the Angels. 
uh, Phil Nevin, uh, Mike Trout uh, on more than three occasions this offseason. Um, and, and then during uh, recruiting this year, I, had, I went out to Seal Beach, um, and my son and I got to meet with Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach. Mm-hmm. And that was fascinating just to talk about how he looks at analytics, how he makes decisions um, in real time, how he has decisions kind of formatted as well, maybe, um, you know, pregame as well. So uh, always trying to learn. Um, and, and you can learn just as much from a player, like to watch Mike Trout uh, in a batting cage and to see his rapport relationship with coaches and wanting instantaneous feedback on the spot uh, where he would take a swing and then go over, look at it on video, go back, take another swing, look at it. Uh, The details that the great players put forth is really amazing. Mm -hmm. Is there a common characteristic that you've seen amongst all the best? Is there one that stands out? Well, they're all mentally tough. Right. Um, they all work at their craft in a relentless, insane way. Um, it's like what we're trying to tell our guys now. Like if, if, uh, if you don't want to get in the gym, you know, and get 500 shots up a day, like, you know, you, you probably have a ceiling on how high you're going to go. Um, you know, I was reading about Chet Holmgren and his off season leading into his rookie year. Um, you know, although he got hurt, him taking, you know, 600 shots and wanting to shoot at a 70% clip from three point range without defense. Um, and so all anyone that reaches a high level, um, the mental toughness aspect and the competitive, I've never been around a great player that's not so competitive that a general person can't they can't wrap their arms around how competitive a a, a real great player or even in my mind a great coach I think that they're wired completely different too from a competitive standpoint Mm -hmm. yeah it's fantastic coach early on I mean you had been seen as an old school coach right a coach's coach you know, now, I mean, perception is you playing around on social media, which I love it. Could you talk about the messaging that you do with your team and then, you know, even with the youth? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, um, you know, I was thought of for so many years as an old school coach, um, much like my father was, really disciplined. Um, no nonsense, um, always serious, um, not really what reality was. I I think with the changing times, you know, as a coach, you've got to change how you, uh, go about things. Um, and then certainly college athletics, I've only been in it as a head coach for, for seven years. And, and to see the changes year by year, um, you've got to evolve. So you've got to evolve how you market your program. In my opinion, it's a head coach's job to sell out a building, um, regardless of how, how big it is. It's not up to the marketing people. Yeah, sure, we want them to help. But uh, style of play, 
uh, how you promote your program, the messaging that goes out between the entire coaching staff, the players, support staff, what is that messaging? Um, so, and then you can't win without good players. And so social media is a big part of, of what our recruitable athletes are looking at. Um, and players rec that you recruit now are not phone conversations are not even what they used to be six years ago. So social media is a way to touch uh, your recruits in a new avenue. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you're talking about your dad. I mean, your dad was ultimate promoter, right? I mean, the pregame festivities. I remember hearing Flip Saunders talk about one time, he said he would have more stress about making sure the pregame was right than actually playing the game. That's true. Uh, their pregame warm-up, um, you know, it had unicycles. Everybody had to learn how to juggle three basketballs. Um, it was a work of art to think that it took place in the early 1970s um, and Williams Arena was sold out. And an interesting fact that not many people know is Charlie Finley, Charlie O. Finley, the old owner of the Oakland A's, owned the Memphis Tams. Um, and he tried so hard to get my dad to uh, leave Minnesota to coach in, in the ABA with the Memphis Tams because Charlie O. Finley was a maybe the world's greatest promoter when you think back at the Oakland A's uniforms and uniforms. how many different combinations they had and all the cast of characters uh, from Joe Rudy to, to um, Reggie Jackson to Catfish Hunter. Uh, Raleigh fingers and and so yes, my dad was way ahead of his time uh, as a promoter. Way back at Ashland College, they did the pregame warm up, and quite frankly, uh, to go from Ashland College to the University of Minnesota, a lot of it had to do with his promoting and his ability to sell out arenas. I love it. You know, it's it's been twenty two years, but how how often do you still think about your dad? Almost every day. Um, you know, I think about him all the time in game. Uh, what would my dad do in this situation? Um, and then kind of our style of play offensively is completely different than the way he, you know, thought of offense. I mean, he was much more deliberate, um, a very detailed defensive coach, which I've tried to uh, keep all of his defensive uh, tenets that he taught uh, technique wise philosophical um but i do think when he watches one of our teams play from above that he's kind of going like come on man like what kind of shot selection is that like those are bad <laughs> shots that you allow your teams to take but uh, we have we have tried to do a lot of what he does off the floor meaning marketing wise um, and then certainly the way that he taught defense is a big part of how we we want our teams to play defensively Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com, and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Coach. 
Um, NBA in college, I mean, difference is 40-minute game to a 48-minute game. The the total number of games, the travel, you talked about, you know, utilizing your bench more. But specifically when it comes to, like, players' egos and personalities, what's the main difference between coaching NBA players and college players? Yeah, I think you hit on a lot with the differences of of two games a week to potentially four games a week at the pro level. Um, but you're, you're dealing with, uh, in the NBA, you're dealing with an agent. You're never really dealing with a parent, you know, here, um, you know, you could play one game overseas and a parent could call about playing time and you're like, all right, well, here's how this is going to go. Um, we're not talking about playing time. Um, we'll send you all the practice film you want. Um, we'll send you every stat. We stat everything. Um, we'll share all that with somebody. Um, but it's really clear to me rotations because of how detailed we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have not played historically a, in, in college a large rotation um, because the game is eight minutes shorter, because you're dealing with players that are in the prime of their life, they're younger players. And, and uh, in the NBA, you've got to have a larger rotation. There's, there's 82 games compared to 30 games. Um, and even in the G league, because of the way the travel is, I always played the entire roster in the G league. It was very, very few games that I ever have where every player didn't check in. Um, and playing 10 guys was really easy for me at the G league level. Um, here it's a lot different. Um, but you are, you, you, you do have different elements that you're dealing with, um, but I think a lot of, you know, playing time, playing rotations, uh, are, it's really gets down to communication and, and the players got to understand strengths, weaknesses, and then how do I get better? And then where does my role fit? And, and does my role have the ability to expand? I think the, the mm. coaches that don't have an open mind um, during the course of the season, I look at two guys, uh, Jalen Williams, uh, and Devontae Davis, those two guys did not play much for us early in their freshman year. Once we got to SEC play, their role expanded. And then once we got to the NCAA tournament, their roles expanded even more. That's usually the opposite of what happens with freshmen. Usually people play those freshmen a lot. In non-conference, they get the conference and the minutes dwindle. We actually right. – have a, an exact opposite philosophy. It's teaching, learning, uh, appreciating uh, a chance to get on the floor. And then once you get that chance, running with it and, mm-hmm. and, and having great success, which we've seen with, with both Devontae Davis and we saw with Jalen Williams, um, how their roles completely expanded going into their sophomore years. That's awesome, Coach. And, and- Following up with the communication piece, I mean, you coached Dominican Republic national team, Venezuela national team. How did that experience help with your communication and, and demonstration? That's a great question. I, I, I don't speak Spanish, although I grew up in San Diego. Um, and, and there's a lot of I, I went to school with a lot of students that that, that Spanish was their number one language. Um, and so what I found, uh, both Dominican uh, and Venezuela, it was about half the team 
understood English. So that meant half of my roster did not understand anything that I was saying through words. So my demonstration on the court became uh, much more important, much more prevalent. I had to work on it. Um, I couldn't just kind of point and describe what I wanted done. I had to actually get out there and physically show the demonstration aspect of it. It also made me much better in timeouts, much clearer, much more concise. I slowed, uh, slowed down my diagrams in timeouts. Um, eye contact became much more important uh, in timeouts when I coached those two national teams. So I think I became a much better coach uh, through my experiences of coaching Dominican Republic and, and Venezuela national teams. Um, and a lot of it was just the language bearer that, you know, that, that we had. Yeah. I love it, coach. I remember hearing um, coach Sendek speak one time and he said during timeouts, they could probably get one piece of information. Is that, I mean, was that accurate? Um, can you repeat that? Yeah. Coach Sendek talked about like during timeouts, like the players could usually get like one piece of information. If we tried to do more than that, it was just overload. How do you handle those situations? Yeah, I think that uh, what we have found here is, is uh, when I first got the head job at Nevada, um, you know, we had a lot of guys on coaching staff that said it, you know, cause basically what I took is I took my gold state warrior and Sacramento Kings playbook. And I just took the front page and ripped it out and slapped on a logo for Nevada and said, this is how we're going to do it. Um, Cause that's all I knew. I didn't know uh, college plays that, that took a full 20 seconds to develop. And I didn't want the fifth option on the floor, taking a shot. So we wanted to stick with our NBA philosophical quick hitters, go to our go-to players, our secondary players. Those are the guys that are making plays. Um, I have found that if you're demanding from day one with a lot of things, because a, a lot of college people did not think that you could get players to even do scouting reports like the NBA. Um, we found that our guys mentally, they're not coming into a game or a scouting report like an NBA player who's maybe played for three or four great coaches and, and has the experience. But we have found that if we demand that they remember a lot, they can. I do agree with Coach Sendak out of a timeout. Um, you've got to really be careful how much you give players. Um, you know, but if you diagram a, a last second play, you're going to need players to understand the first, second, third, and fourth option. Uh, and then somebody on the floor, it could be the inbounders, got to be able to read all of that as well. Um, but I do agree with Coach Sendak. You got to be clear, you got to be concise. Um, I've often asked Coach players that have played for Pat Riley about his timeouts um, and to get the feedback from players about him looking at each player, diagramming one line, looking at each player after he diagrammed the line, saying the player's name. Um, we've tried to take a lot of what I've heard from Pat Riley players or even from Keith Smart who worked in the Miami Heat uh, under that umbrella um, and their culture, um, we've tried to to implement a lot of that stuff that they use. That's fantastic, Coach. 
I was always curious about this. Your time at Nevada, you spoke about there were times where you were winning, but there wasn't like joy from it. You know, how, um, what was it about that time that you learned about yourself? Yeah, so we had made, um, you know, an NCAA tournament the year before. Um, the year that you're referencing, we, we actually were ranked 17 straight weeks in the top 10. Um, for a mid-major to be ranked right. 17 straight weeks, and we were, you know, three years away from a, a team when we took over that had only won, uh, I think, six Division I games, maybe eight total wins. And so there was a – we built that thing up quickly through the transfer route. We had Caleb and Cody Martin, two NBA players. Um, and Caleb and Cody Martin put a lot of pressure on themselves we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and we would win by 10 or 15 points, double digit wins. And I would come home and, and kind of be miserable, you know, and, and my wife would say, how are you so unhappy? We won by 12 points or we won by 14 points. And um, wanting to stay in the top 10, um, feeling like we had a chance if we got the right draw um, that we could go further than the year before sweet 16 run. Um, and so I think that the success of making a Sweet 16, um, being ranked as high as fifth in the country, um, you know, we all didn't enjoy um, the winning like we should have. So we've kind of taken that here at Arkansas, which there's more pressure at Arkansas than there was at Nevada for sure. Um, but we've been to two straight Elite Eights uh, throughout the process. Um, while other teams are, have been in their hotel rooms um, leading up to NCAA tournament games, I'm never going to do that again. I mean, we went and visited uh, San Francisco Giants Stadium. We did a tour. All the guys got pitching mound. We got out of our hotel uh, in Buffalo. Uh, it was the same thing. In Buffalo, uh, I took time out and went and met uh, with the Bills uh, general manager and the Buffalo Bills um, head coach and went and toured their facility. So a lot of, to me, you, you've got to experience your, your players. Like we went to Niagara Falls in Buffalo. You've got to, you've got to let your guys experience things as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious. I mean, the process and the product, um, how do you personally navigate with yourself these, these highs and these lows? Cause I'm going to assume, right. The process is more important than the product because the feelings that you have, even from those wins, I mean, those, those leave, but the bus rides, the, the memorable moments, those trips, can you talk about how do you navigate those highs and lows in your journey? Yeah. I mean, one, I think anytime, you know, a lot of coaches, um, I'm an emotional coach, so I do take the wins and losses. You can, you can, I, it's on my sleeve during the course of the season. But I, you know, the cool thing is uh, when you get a phone call from Kendall Stevens, who played for us at Nevada, and he says, uh, you know, hey, coach, I'm, I'm leaving Australia. I'm going to another country. I just got married. Um, it was a small wedding. You know, we're going to do a bigger one in a couple months after the city. You know, all those things are the really, really cool things, or to be able to turn on, uh, you know, NBA TV and to watch Caleb or Cody Martin. I mean, I watch, you know, those two guys games every night that we're off. I'm, I'm watching them and, and uh, 
maybe sending them a text about something that I've seen in the game or giving them a word of encouragement if they have an off night. Um, so yeah, you're right. The journey, uh, what you experience, all those things are way more important than the immediate win or the loss. Um, but I also think that, you know, when you win at a high level, it creates way more memories. Um, and then we all work hard. Every team in the country works hard. Every, every team in the country, for the most part, practices hard. So there's, you hope that there's a reward through winning. Um, and then just if you, instead of looking, you know, at a, at a, at a, at the long range view, even in a short lens, like, are you getting better? Like the one thing that we've taken incredible pride, uh, both at Nevada and at Arkansas is that our teams get better as the season progresses and there are highs and lows and there's defining moments every year. Um, and what you as a leader do with those defining moments can either crush a team spirit or can elevate you. Um, you know, two years ago, we got blown out at LSU. We got blown out uh, at Alabama. And, uh, you know, I made a decision that we were going to have, you know, some practices that were really, really going to be hard in between those games. Uh, and I knew going to Alabama that, you know, we had virtually no shot to win, win that game because we had no legs. I mean, we went so hard. Uh, but they remembered it, they fought through it, and we were able to regroup. But that was a defining moment. We could have had the team say, hey, this isn't worth it. Um, these practices, we don't want – like, it could have gone the other way. Um, but I think you got to know just the point where you got to flip the switch to um, and add positivity, uh, add belief, add confidence, all those things. There's a time and technique for all that as well. I was curious, Coach, could you just elaborate on that just a little bit more? Because I find that to be fascinating. I mean, that's the point where you said it could have gone one way, but you're able to implement the positivity and turn that into a positive. Can you just elaborate on that just a little bit? Yeah, so if you, you know, after those, you know, two games, now what are you going to do? Your team is, has, uh, has, has been blown out back-to-back uh, -back games. Um, even last year, I think we started off maybe one in three in conference. You know, what, what are you going to do at that point? Um, you got to figure out a way, whether it's a pregame speech where we lighten the mood, um, whether it's a film session where they see your belief in them. Um, you got to figure out how am I giving my team belief? What's the format? What is the time? That I'm doing is it the day of the game? Is it in time? Is it in game? Is it three days before the game? All those things, there's got to be a, a thought process and a plan for how you want to go about it. In the season, I think it's so important to pick the brains of, of other people. And, um, you know, getting back to that minor league or to the major league baseball thing that I did this year, every time I met, whether it was a Texas Ranger manager, whether it's Phil Nevin, Joe Madden, Tony La Russa, Dusty Baker, whoever it is, I always go back and write down, if I was a player, how would I have perceived that conversation? Because, um, like, when I, when I, after I met with Dusty Baker, I walked away and said, hey, this guy is so cool, I would want to lay it on the line for him. Mm -hmm. He had this cool factor 
that to me, if I was a player, man, I would want to play for that dude. Um, and then maybe some other guys, I, I don't know if I really connect. Yeah, I don't know if I see how the connectivity with the player would really happen with this particular leader. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can use that in recruiting. You can use that with your own team. Um, I'm never going to be as cool as Dusty Baker, but it was, I, I do love the thought process of, Hey, why did I really like this conversation with this guy? What intangible things did he either say to me? What was his, uh, what was his rapport when another player walked up into that conversation? Um, cause there was an Arkansas player that walked up when Dusty Baker and I were talking and then to see how Dusty started interacting with that player, right. really fascinating. The questions that he asked, him not knowing, uh, maybe some things throughout the conversation. It was really, it's really cool, I think, to, to study leadership. Absolutely. Coach, I think you're really cool, man, just so you know. <laughs> you know, I know your players do too, man. Uh, I need to ask, Coach, I mean, you had you know many years at the NBA level. I mean, two-time head coach, you reach a point where ADs, wouldn't even return your calls. I mean, they were falling asleep and you had an AD that fell asleep in an interview. That period of your life, man, I mean, I know there was growth through that, but talk to us about that that pain and, and, and what you learned from it. I mean, it's probably the greatest thing that ever happened. I mean, uh, I remember uh, being in the Arizona State uh, coach's office and uh, writing to the athletic director of the Campbell Camels. Um, never got a response. Um, an athletic director did fall asleep um, in a interview, a person, person to person interview. Um, I just walked out. I grabbed all my interview books and just walked out and searched for him. Ask, you know, what are you doing? I said, the guy's falling. You're like, there's, there's it's not going to work. You know, if I couldn't captivate him. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of, uh, I mean, those are just two examples of probably 25 things uh, that, that not just, I, I knew when I tried, I had been out of coaching for three years and looked to get into college uh, basketball and, uh, nothing happened. So I said, all right, well, if I'm going to go the college route, I'm going to have to be an assistant coach. After one year at Arizona State, I thought with my background of being a two-time NBA head coach and looking at the landscape, there was no other former NBA head coach. There was an assistant coach in college. None. I couldn't even find any going deep, deep into the history. So I felt like, all right, learn the college game, learn how to schedule, learn about recruiting. Didn't happen. After year two, didn't happen. Um, I did, I do think going to LSU was a, was a, was a, a really smart move, um, for me to be a part of the SEC. I found out that the SEC national, uh, recognition was really powerful. Um, and then got the job at, at Nevada. Um, and, you know, lucky that, that, um, that an athletic director in Doug Newth was willing to take a chance and then. Certainly, it was a risk even uh, for Hunter Juracek here to, to take somebody that had been at Nevada. Um, 
there was no geographical ties really other than the eight months that I was at LSU. Um, so that was a huge risk for, um, you know, for, for our athletic director here. But I, I had the utmost confidence in recruiting. Um, anybody that there is recruiting in the minor leagues, especially in the old CBA. So anybody that, that recruited free agents against us, I don't think that there was any doubt that from that group of coaches that we would have success recruiting wise, right. I wasn't worried about the recruiting aspect at all. And I certainly felt like from a promotion standpoint um, that we were going to be able to fill up buildings, but I, I all but begged uh, San Jose state just to give me an in-person interview, uh, not once, uh, three different time frames, um, And, and, we used it as motivation. We played San Jose State. A 30-point win was not enough um, right. against San Jose State. I wanted to beat them by 50 and 60. Um, and so I hold a lot, of, a lot of that stuff inside me as motivation on a daily basis. Um, how few people uh, actually believed in the background of coaching in the minor leagues, uh, coaching national teams, uh, and coaching NBA teams. It's fascinating to me that, that uh, the lack of respect coaching at the highest level, um, when you coach against Pat Riley, you coach against Phil Jackson and George Carl and Greg Popovich, you're not going to fear anybody in college basketball. I promise you that. Right. Right. No, that's a great line coach. I mean, that was definitely a hinge moment because you had an opportunity to go to Minnesota, but your wife, Danielle said, no, stay stay committed to the, the college route. I mean, that took a trust that took a leap of faith there, right? It did. Um, you know, my dad was the first coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Flip Saunders was the head coach. Um, his other two assistant coaches were Sam Mitchell, uh, who played for my dad with the Timberwolves and Sidney Lowe, who played for my dad, uh, with the Timberwolves. Um, that would have been the most comfortable spot that I ever could have fallen into to go back to Minnesota. Um, I grew up, I spent time when my dad was coaching the Gophers, um, had so many lifetime friends in that state, um, was familiar obviously with their organization. Um, I didn't know anybody in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I didn't know Johnny Jones, who was the head coach. Um, I knew David Patrick, who was an assistant. Um, that was the only person that I knew there, um, didn't know geographically anything about the state of Louisiana. Um, but yeah, my wife, she, you know, made a great business decision and said, Hey, you've already been to the NBA. You've already experienced that. Why not take on a new challenge? Um, let's go to Baton Rouge. And to me, it was like the craziest decision to, to, to make at the time. So what was it, Coach? What was that moment where you're, you're right, honey, this is what we're going to do? I just kind of felt like um, I'm going to trust in her opinion. Um, I thought that my two sons at their age really enjoyed the college aspect of things. Um, and I wanted to prove people wrong. Like I had this burning desire, um, you know, I mean, at one point I had written down all the ADs up on my mirror um, on a sheet of paper that, that either didn't return a phone call, um, wouldn't give me an in-person interview. Um, I flew around and met with most of the search firms too on my own dime. 
And, um, you know, a lot of them lack of respect, um, lack of belief. And so I said, hey, let's go to LSU. We, we, we didn't buy a home there. We rented. Uh, we didn't bring one piece of furniture. It's kind of really <laughs> weird and unique that uh, my wife packed a couple suitcases of clothes. I packed a couple suitcases and clothes. And my daughter, we went there with, hey, we're going to go to LSU. We're going to be a part of um, Coach Jones's staff, but, but we're going to get another job quickly um, after this experience. And, and Coach Jones did a great job of promoting me as well throughout the course of the year and, and kind of letting people know that I was on his staff. And, um, but yeah, it was a big time, big time leap of faith. Cause I didn't know if I would just end up after one year at LSU. We, we had talked about if it doesn't work, maybe we just moved back to San Diego. Um, and I knew if I went to the Timberwolves that, that that would be a, a long time commitment. Cause once again, Flip Saunders at the time was part owner as well. Right. Um, and he had been a, I mean, I had looked up to flip my whole life. So that would have been way more comfortable. Sometimes, you know, there are hinge moments where you got to just roll with what, what you roll yeah. with. No, I love it, Coach. I appreciate you sharing that, man. I mean, um, and just a couple more questions, but, you know, because I want to respect all of your time. I think it's the most precious resource we have, and I appreciate you sharing it. You, you've had a lot of success with, with transfers. How do you and your staff, um, like, evaluate the best fit? for your program? Yeah, so I, I think with the transfer market, because we've taken an NBA model the same way that we used in draft rooms um, on how to build a roster. You know, roster management is the most important thing at the NBA level. It's the most important thing now at the collegiate level as well. Um, you're not gonna build a team in the old traditional sense. Um, although we have six freshmen this year. Um, you know, at Nevada, the transfer, market was way under recruited a couple of years ago we felt like it was way over recruited and so that's why we've gone out and 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 freshmen have been a big big part of our program whether it be moses moody a few years ago i mentioned Jalen williams and Devonte davis being a big part you know this year uh, we're going to need some of our freshmen to step up and have incredibly big roles as well so um i think you got to constantly try to re evolve and, and understand uh, who you can get. But the evaluation process for us has been a, a heavily analytically driven. Um, we've always wanted to have our own analytic departments in-house. Um, at Nevada, we had Jordan Sperber, um, who was really important from an eval standpoint. Um, we took a lot of lessons that he taught us, kind of used them in our own way. Um, you know, Hayes Myers was really good analytically with us at Nevada. And then also here, he's now at Sacramento State. Um, but we, we have our own system analytically and our own ranking system. And that's even changed from this offseason. Um, I think we've done an incredible job of changing over the last eight to nine months and uh, making our analytics, especially maybe the last two months, um, even more precise than than what it what it what it had been, uh, ending with with last year's elite elite eight run. Mm -hmm. What are, what are the non negotiables that you have when it comes to your players and your team? Uh, you're not gonna you know you it's not you you got to love the game. 
you got to be highly competitive. Um, those two things are kind of non-negotiable. Um, you know, your work ethic's got to be strong. I think everybody says it, but like you can't survive our practices if you're not really competitive. Um, you can't survive our culture if you don't hate to lose. Um, I mean, those are just, you know, we're not for everybody. I mean, we are, we want to play at an elite level. We want to win at an elite level. Um, we understand some years are going to be better than others. Um, but we want guys that want to improve and play at a higher level than Arkansas. Um, if you don't aspire to play at a higher level than all the work that we do here is it's not going to be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it doesn't mean everybody's going to play at the NBA level. Um, like JD Note's third team All American, a great player, one of the best players in the SEC. I think he's an NBA player, but for whatever reason, his career is now taken into Greece. But he's playing in a great country, playing in a great organization, and can make a great living. Um, that is playing at a higher level than Arkansas. So that's really cool. Uh, Trey Wade is playing overseas. Chris Likes is playing overseas. So we have three players that are currently already overseas playing off last year's team. And then obviously Jalen Williams, um, you know, was drafted and will be with Oklahoma City Thunder. So I think those things are really important to us is that guys want to play basketball beyond college. Yeah, that's fantastic, Coach. What have you noticed then? I mean, say if it's a, a G League player or a two-way player, not necessarily like the physical, but what have you noticed be the mental difference between those? Yeah, I think that, you know, one, you've got to have a, a skill that translates to the next level, whether it be shooting, ball handling, athleticism, length, some factor that allows you to play at the world's highest level. IQ. Basketball IQ can be something. Um, You know, with Caleb and Cody Martin, I didn't know where it would translate on the floor, but I told every general manager that I could promise them if you have Cody and Caleb Martin on your team, your culture will be better and your practices will be better. And I I can tell you from coaching at that level, If you look down at your bench and you know you have two people that are happy to be on the team, that are up cheering, that can be put in a game and contribute when called upon, and will show up the next day whether they play or don't play with the same attitude and the same competitiveness, that player is going to make that organization better. Um, And that's the one thing that that I could tell everybody about those two particular players. And now, obviously, they've carved a, a niche for their for themselves uh, to be on the floor. Um, but that's what I hope any player that comes out of Arkansas, that an NBA general manager or an owner of a team overseas or a general manager of a team overseas will say, hey, if that player played at Arkansas, they're going to understand how to practice hard. They're going to understand what it means to be a great team member. They're going to be competitive. They're going to practice really, really hard, and they're going to make our culture better. If somebody can bring those five or six characteristics to an organization at the next level, that's that's pretty powerful. Absolutely, Coach. No, it's fantastic. Um, coach, what question should I be asking that that I just haven't asked? 
I think you asked some pretty good questions, Rob. I really do. I mean, I'm I trying to prepare, but I know there's something I'm missing. I don't think so. I, I think that, um, you know, I think that every interview too, that, that, that you do, or that maybe I do on the other end, um, where you're getting asked the questions, um, they all have their own unique perspective. Um, obviously the amount of time that you dove into either reading or hearing other interviews that I've done, um, you've probably been more factual asking questions about, you know, so many different areas, um, you know, that I think we've covered a lot of ground and, and, uh, it's been a joy to, to be on with you. Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today? Tune in to KukoRadio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. Play nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at KukoRadio.com. How about one more question? What, what's it like um, having your son with you now that he's Dobo? Probably, probably one of the greatest things ever. Um, you know, I worked for my father with the Timberwolves. Um, and although it was only one year, um, one of the greatest uh, experiences that I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, Michael's, you know, been a big, big part of what we've done. I mean, he was with us at Nevada. Um, he's been our recruiting coordinator. Look at our recruiting classes. Um, he's the guy that organizes everything we do recruiting wise since day one at Arkansas. Um, I know that I'm not going to always have the opportunity to work with him because he's too good um, to, 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 you know, to just stay under, under our umbrella um, where his career takes him. I don't know. I think he could, could be at the next level uh, in, in an NBA in some capacity because of his organizational skills, his eye for talent. Um, or, you know, he might stick the college route. That'll be up to him wherever his career path takes him. Um, but he'll probably have a fork in the road coming up soon where he's got to make some type of decision on which way he wants to go, uh, just as I did. But, I mean, there's nothing better than be able to work with your son, walk into a building, say good morning, go to lunch with him every single day. Uh, really, really cool and probably even more meaningful uh, for somebody that, um, comes from a divorce situation uh, where I wasn't able every day uh, to, to take him to school. I, I had split time where he was with his mom half the time with me half the time. So um, also making up for, for some lost time as well. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Coach, again, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time. And uh, I, just, I just really appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell. And subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.